You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. All right. Hello and welcome into the Fog.net podcast. My name is Michael Swain, the Kansas beat writer for 24-7 Sports. I'm joined by Kevin Flaherty. We're going to be talking some Kansas football. It's March now, technically March 2nd. I want to talk some spring football because I think there's a lot of interesting stuff going on in Lawrence. Spring practice is underway. We are two days into spring ball. They've had a practice on Tuesday and Thursday. We've been able to go to both or I at least have. But Kevin, let's start here. We haven't podcasted since National Signing Day, so how have things sure. been going for you? Uh, they've been going pretty well. They've been going well. It's uh, I'm very glad, you know, not to get too non-personal, but I'm very glad that KU football starts spring so early, right? Because there isn't that big gap that you get with some other programs where it's like they start in, you know, mid or late March. We get to hop right into this thing. We do, and that's exciting. Like, I mean, for me personally, look, I've got to cover both. I've got to cover basketball and football. So, you know, days like today are, are certainly a time when I've, you know, I'm at practice in the morning and then media at 11 and then go to Allen Fieldhouse for basketball media. But I think it is cool. And I guess we could probably start here, Kevin. You know, I did an interview with Lance Leipold. And if you missed it, go check that out on the website. But he talked about the schedule and the timing where KU mm-hmm. starts spring ball the second earliest or earliest. I don't know when Houston took the field, but I think KU having a morning practice probably makes them the earliest time for a team doing big 12 practices. So they basically decide that, Hey, we're going to do a six week kind of lifting period because they start classes in late January. And then they're going to do a six week period. They're going to have about six practices before spring break, which will be at the end of next week. They'll take a week off. Everyone gets to go refresh. They'll come back. They'll have the final set of practices. They'll go really, really hard leading up into the spring game. And I say really hard. I'm sure we'll talk about load management stuff as well. But I think it's interesting. I think you've seen other Kansas coaching staffs decide to have a little bit later. You know, it probably helps in terms of if you want more coverage. Guys are around more often in April, you know, and to cover the team and everything like that. But, um, Kevin, I guess, what do you think about starting a spring like this and having the schedule like this? I mean, I, I like it. It seems like the players and coaches like it. What do you think? Yeah, I think last year, if I remember right, Lance Leipold had kind of talked about the reason they went early last year was they felt like they got some momentum at the end Hmm. of last year. And so to have spring, you know, be a little bit earlier, you're still tapping into that momentum that you built at the end of the year. There's not a huge gap to sit and think around things. Obviously, the last time we saw KU on a football field in a game that mattered was the Liberty Bowl. And you know, it was uh, was kind of a, a thrilling end, and you had, you know, 8 billion overtimes and, you know, kind of decided the way that it was. And I think after the end of that, too, I'd, I'd want to get back on the field pretty quickly. I think, too, with some of the guys that, uh, that Kansas brought in, not just the freshmen who enrolled early, but the transfers 
you want to get started a little bit early so you can get them used to your habits as a program, get them used to lifting. And then you you also finish up early, right? So you get to know, hey, this is this is what we need to do. Hey, this guy's not holding up at the point of attack like we hoped he would. Here's how we can sort of cater his individual workout plan, things like that. And, you know, Michael, I know you've had a chance to see him out on the field with all the players and everything. I think Gildersleeve's about as good as there is in the business in terms of not just being a strength coach, but also catering things to to certain players and, and making sure all their plans are there individually as well. I'll tell you what, Matt Gildersleeve's an impressive guy to listen to. He, I, I don't think he had done a press conference like that until earlier this week on Tuesday when he talked after Lance Leipold. And the for me, like the, I think the biggest thing you hear about right this spring is kind of the, the fighting complacency. That's obviously important, right? You have a team that won the most it had in a long time. And I think probably the human nature is to kind of be like, yeah, we are like that. Like we are really good at football. You know, we if Jalen stays healthy, we probably win X amount of games when in reality, you really can't think like that as a football player. You know, you've got to continue to kind of fight for the the daily improvement. And that's why for folks that see on Twitter, you know, they've got kind of the 1% on their sleeves yep. or any social media post and a lot of the, the photos that they're putting out there. You know, the goal is for 1% better every day. And I think that it really does start with Matt Gildersleeve. I mean, this is something I'll write about on the website at some point this spring. But you look at what he is doing culture classes. This is something I haven't really heard of before where basically it started off as about 16 players who are kind of the leaders of the team, but he decided to open up to everyone. If you want to come get tools to be a better leader, you can show up to these classes and they've had a resounding amount of people show up to them. I think they said about 50 or 60 were showing up to these, mm -hmm. right? That's about half the football team. You know, think about over a hundred people out there for spring ball. And that's really impressive. And I think Gildersleeve is a start of that. And I think you look at some of the bodies of the guys out there, they look a lot different. Sure. And what you saw when Lance Leipold, I think first showed up in 2021 and it maybe even compared to last year. Um, let's start in the trenches talking about this year's team, because you walk around practice folks that go to the spring game in April, we'll see it too. They just look a little different, a little bit different, a little more athletic. Probably it's harder to tell that stuff when they're walking around and doing the individual drills, but it's a team that looks a whole lot different. Yeah. And I think the, another part of that too, is even guys who just came into the program look a little different than you thought they'd look right. Like, you know, Devin Phillips, I think was a guy who was, you know, listed at what, like six, two, three Oh five, something like that. He looks like he's closer to three twenty five, And I know that's, that's what Kansas has him listed at. You mentioned it in your articles, you know, Gage Keys is a guy that looks a little different than maybe what you what you thought. It. And these guys have had a chance to lift some and get in some and, and do some of those things. Calvin Clements looks way different than, than what he looked like, I think, the last time I saw him. And so when you when you look at some of these guys, they've already seen some gains, even the guys who haven't been there for all that long. I, I think, too, the interesting thing – with the trenches, with the way that they're preparing. You know, they had the video with Gildersleeve up on the KU Football Twitter account. I didn't know if you saw that. And one of the things that he said multiple times is coach to finish. And you talked about, you know, how Kansas can kind of say what if with the whole Jalen Daniels thing and, and everything. But 
even with Jason Bean, you're looking at a program that was there at the end against TCU. You were there in the end against Texas Tech. You were there in the end against Baylor. You know, you were down, what, five, I think, against Baylor there in the fourth quarter. And obviously you go to overtime in that game against Arkansas. And, you know, I'm not great at the maths, Michael, but, you know, if you win those four games and you've already got six wins, that's 10 wins. And and I'm not saying that you're going to win all of those every year or anything like that. But I do think that it should be mentioned that TCU won every one score game last year. That was why they went to the college football playoff. Texas Tech won every one score game last year. And so when you when you look at, at those things, TCU lost the Big 12 championship game. They won every one score game in the regular season. But when you look at, at that and say, hey, why can't that be us if we do the little things to finish? You know, you're if you're wondering how Kansas gets from six wins to nine wins to 10 wins, whatever, I I think that's the way that it could happen. And like you said, it does all start up front and with some really interesting new pieces up front. Yeah. I I love you mentioned the coach to finish thing because we talked to Brian Borland today and that's what he talked about with Craig Young, for example, we're coaching to finish where, He's someone that I think you saw a lot last year flash that athleticism. The ability for him in space is so unlike, I think, what you've seen from Kansas football teams in the past where you don't have a 6'4", 225 guy running around there running a 4'4". And KU had that with Craig Young. And now it's about, hey, what was the one weakness for him? Kind of playing in the box sometimes maybe isn't always the most physical. You know, can he get more comfortable in those situations? Well, That's the emphasis from the coaching staff for Craig Young now is can you finish? Can you finish those plays? And he talked today too, and he said he feels a lot more comfortable right now than he did obviously last spring and that he has at any point in his Kansas career. And I think maybe confidence and knowing what you're doing and knowing where you're supposed to be, right? I think we saw Craig Young really, really grow over the course of last season. And I think a spring like this, even if he's not going to take, you know, say 100, they do 100 reps per practice just a number, you know, he's not going to take 90 of them, but he's going to take, you know, say 30, 40 of them. And, but that's going to help him build that confidence even more and build that physicality out even more. And getting back to the trenches, I am, you mentioned Devin Phillips. I mean, Holy smokes. (laughs) Um, you, You look at him and I think he engaged keys to, you know, Kansas had decent defensive tackles last year, right? Yeah, sure. Wilson, Sam Burke, Caleb Sampson, a plus human beings. Let's start by saying that like those guys are going to have success in life on the football field. Good. They can hold their own at the big 12 level. But now I think you're adding some guys that maybe can be more closer to the difference maker category. And Devin Phillips is one of them. You know, you mentioned him, the listing, right? First of all, he wears number 40, which is awesome. (laughs) I love oddly numbered defensive tackles. KU starting defensive tackles next year could be number 40 and number 17. We'll see how it all plays out. But I love the idea of that just pure numbers wise. But you just look at him, right? 6'2", 320, and he wears it kind of well. You look at him in the photo I have up here on the YouTube channel. um, He is big. But it doesn't look like bad weight necessarily. And he's just someone where you watch him move in these drills and he can get off the ball really well. You see some of just the change of direction in a couple of like the stop start drills that they do. 
And for what KU wants to do at defensive tackle, they want those guys getting up the field, penetrating. It's different than the two gap scheme that, you know, less miles and they want to do with that three man front where now it's like, Hey, hit the gap, do it, take on double teams, try and make plays happen. And I think Devin Phillips is someone that really fits that gauge keys. We mentioned Matt Gildersleeve a minute ago. I mean, the fact that he's someone that you felt like, okay, he's going to come in at about 275. Maybe you can get up to 285 by the time the season starts, you know, you know, maybe you'll be able to keep that athleticism. Well, here we are at the start of spring practice. He's 285 pounds and he's added three miles an hour to his um, top end speed. And they track a lot of this stuff with some GPS stuff that they have on tracked onto the players. Um, I'm going to pull up here the, the, the athletic testing numbers for gauge keys. Cause they're off the charts. I think, you know, he's not going to be a 300 pound, 310 pound defensive tackle like you see in the NFL. But if you were to compare what gauge keys athleticism numbers look like, they do rival that of those that you'll see in the NFL combine this week, right? You look at the numbers, here they are. So a 4.740 for someone that is 6'5", 285, a 36 inch vertical, like that's explosion. And yeah. I think that's just so huge for Kansas to have someone that can do that and offer that in the front four where maybe it just hasn't been like that in the past. I think that's huge. Yeah. And he brings, he looks different from every other Kansas defensive tackle. You know, he's, he's got the length as weird as it sounds for somebody who's 285 pounds. He looks slender, doesn't he? Like he, he looks like an athlete playing defensive tackle. And when you're playing a one gap scheme, you know, it helps to have the nose tackle who can eat multiple blocks and, and things like that. And, and I think Devin Phillips has a chance to do that and more with, with how well he moves. But there's also a lot of value to having a gauge keys type, somebody who can make himself skinny to get through that gap, who can use his length and his athleticism as a pass rusher. And you think about how many times, a lot of times, the initial pass rush bogs down, right? Like the offensive linemen make their blocks, there's a pocket. Well, there's a secondary pass rush that goes on at that point. The quarterback can get outside of the pocket. Different things can happen. Engage keys having the length to disengage, having the athleticism and the speed to go make a play on a guy potentially even leaving the pocket, I, I think is a major advantage. And, you know, you and I both like the young defensive tackles quite a bit when you talk about Tommy Dunn when you talk about DJ Withers and what they showed, you know, in the rotation last year, but adding Devin Phillips and adding Gage keys means that Tommy Dunn and DJ Withers don't have to be everything to everyone right away. Right. They can come along, be a major part of this rotation. And I think when you're looking at that defensive tackle group in general, it's going to be one that we're going to be highly focused on in terms of, Hey, is this group good enough? for Kansas to stop the run better, to win more games, et cetera. But I think the other thing is, is I think the depth of talent, not just depth, not just having five or six bodies to throw out there, but depth of guys who can actually go out and make a play, I think is going to be higher than it was a year ago. Exactly. I think just top to bottom athleticism is something that I think the coaches really wanted to work on improving this off season in the front seven. I think we mentioned those two guys, right? Austin Booker, someone that has that athleticism. <laughs> we looked at him and he looks the part you sure. oftentimes you, you look at these football rosters, right? And you see like a six, six for like a defensive end. And you're like, Oh, okay. So he's probably six, five, maybe six, four and a half. Like, 
you walk by Austin Booker and he is six, six, like every bit of it. And I'm interested to see what happens with him. I think he's one where my expectations are, Hey, I think really high upside. It's going to be his first season being yeah. someone that is going to be in the rotation. Can he just hold the zone? You know, we'll see what happens over the course of this spring, but he's someone I'll have my eye on. I think JB Brown's a really interesting addition at linebacker, right? Yeah. From Bowling Green. He fits under the, the Lonnie Phelps mold almost of you look at what Lonnie Phelps did at Miami, Ohio, high production, kind of lowish percentage of snaps, right? You know, about a 25% pressure rate, but he only played, I think maybe 50% of the snaps, something like that. When we look at JB Brown, he had as much, I think tackles for loss as Rich Miller, as many tackles as Tywan Berryhill while playing um, uh, maybe a hundred less snaps, something like that. But it just shows that, Hey, when he was on the field at Bowling Green last year, he made plays. I don't know if he's going to start like, look, there's, there are two days in, like there's a long way to go for this stuff. But I think you're just talking about adding more bodies and, and Lance has talked a lot about depth and competition and adding different layers to this. And I think you, you just look at it and there's more bodies there that are athletic guys that you feel good playing in, in probably in the big 12 um, this season. So I think overall the defense, I'm really fascinated to see how they come along over the course of this spring. Um, we didn't talk about load management, Kevin. We'll, we'll get to offense in a second here. What do you think about that? Um, I don't know if you saw the, the comments from Lance Leipold. I think he told me on the podcast and then mentioned it as well um, in his first press conference on Tuesday, but they're going to watch the reps of these guys, right? Someone like Rich Miller doesn't need to go out there and play. I mentioned the hundred snaps of practice is just like a, an idea, a number I'm making up here, but Rich Miller doesn't need 90 snaps in a practice right now. You know, they're going to tailor that down a little bit. What do you think about the idea of that? Well, you know, I don't love it when LeBron does it, but as far as KU football, you know, it, it's, it, it's pretty, uh, it, it's pretty great. Um, and, and the reason I say that is that Kansas isn't just preparing those first guys. And I think when you look at, when you look at this Kansas team specifically, you look at Bill Conley's numbers, right. From ESPN, in terms of returning production, Kansas is second in the country in returning production this year. They're first in the country in returning production on offense, and they're 10th on defense. They're one of only two schools that are top 10 in returning production on both offense and defense. And I say that not just to say, you know, hey, Kansas is bringing back an awful lot, but also to say that for a lot of those guys in the spring, like you said, it's not necessarily those guys that need the rep repetitions, right? Like, you know what you're getting from some of these guys. They know what they're doing. And it's almost more beneficial for them to take what I would call clean reps, you know, reps where you're not tired, where you're mentally focused and say, okay, this is, this is what's going on. Because I, I think when you look specifically at, say, that linebacker group in particular, right, you return Rich Miller you return Taiwan Berryhill, you return Craig Young, if you call him a linebacker, you know, he's at that Hawk position, which is kind of linebacker safety-ish. But you return all those guys, well, Kansas isn't going to want, ideally, Rich Miller to have to play 95 snaps in 98-degree weather in September. They're going to want to be able to roll out J.B. Brown. They're going to want to be able to find some depth somewhere there whether that's Alex Raish, whether that's Christian Fletcher, they're going to want to find somebody that can, can kind of ease his job a little bit there too. 
And, and that starts in the spring. And, and I think that load management for a lot of these guys, making sure that you come out of spring healthy and, and you know, healthy both in terms of, hey, this guy isn't going to miss any time in the fall, but also that they aren't going to miss any valuable workout time after the spring and things like that, too. I, I think all of those things are really important. What are your thoughts on it? Yeah, I totally agree. And I think like Jalen Daniels is a really good example of that. Sure. You know, we got the chance to talk to him the other day on, on Tuesday and he kind of talked about, hey, I am 100 percent right now. I feel good. But the goal is to make sure that with a separated shoulder last year that, hey, I don't have any setbacks where all of a sudden I got to miss a month during, you know, June, July. You know, the goal is to get out of spring practice with him feeling really good. And he's someone that I think probably can also work on just the mental side of the game. And I think being able to analyze things, take another step forward in the reading of the game. So that, like you mentioned, Kevin, when he goes out there practice, it is a, okay, here are the reps I'm going to get during practice. Let me maximize them and try and make them the best that they can be. And I think that is, it's smart. And I think it's a good way to go about it in the spring practice where, you know, try, build more depth, right? I think you look at maybe the quarterback or maybe Ethan Vasco is able to get more reps. And, you know, obviously he was able to get some really important practice time last fall when Daniels was hurt and he was the backup. So now can he kind of take those lessons that he learned then and then move it forward to this spring so that next fall when he's kind of probably back in the QB3 role right behind you know Jalen Daniels and, and Jason Bean that then he can kind of continue to learn mentally. Well, I think now is the time for Jalen Daniels to do that. And we talk about offense and I think honestly you return so much production and really the one spot that I think where there's going to be so much competition to happen between now and the start of the season is offensive line. And we started this off by talking about the trenches and how different Kansas looks in the trenches. The offensive line looks different. And I want to start off with, with Spencer Lovell or Lavelle Lovell. I need to get a pronunciation guide for that. Um, he is a unit, 6'6", 335 pounds. He's going to play guard and He's someone that just in terms of like, you want to look at like the weight, like you mentioned gauge keys kind of more like on the top heavy side. Well, he is well built all around and he looks like a unit. And to think that Kansas can now go into next season, obviously we'll see what happens, right? Armaja Reed Adams, Michael Ford, those guys are going to put up a battle at, at guard to try and compete for spots. Like you don't know who's going to start, but theoretically you could go into the season with, Hey, Dominic Pooney is six, five, three twenty, And then Spencer level is six, six, three thirty as your starting guards. And then you've got Logan Brown potentially winning the left tackle job. Again, we'll see, but potentially winning the left tackle job. And, you know, he's someone that has a, a really good, you know, past acumen, but six, six, three twenty, and athletic. Like it just looks a lot different than the offensive line you saw in 2020 under less miles, right? When Jalen Daniels was getting killed <laughs> times a game because of the line. And it looks a lot different than the first offensive line he had at Kansas. I just yeah. overall, you look at the overhaul that has happened in terms of building out the depth. It's incredibly impressive. And, you know, offensive line talk doesn't get the people going, right? It's not going to get trillions of clicks, but you want to talk about where Kansas, if they're going to have consistent success on offense, I think it's going to start at the offensive line room. Yeah, I agree. And, and I think we talked about this, I think on, on national signing day, you know, Andy Kotelnicki, there's, there's not enough credit out there that you can throw that guy and have it be too much. And, and I think when you watch, you go back and watch Kansas run. And I think 
most people around the Big 12 would say, hey, Kansas ran the ball really, really well. A lot of it was scheme related, right? A lot of it was, hey, we're going to get you leaning left and we're going to run the ball right. And when Kansas went against teams that, you know, were were able to play, you know, a, a little bit more polished when, when they were overwhelmed and things like that, a lot of those plays dried up. When you look at the Texas game, when you look at the Arkansas game and Kansas's inability to run in that game, and you and I were both at the Liberty Bowl, we saw the guys that Kansas was trying to run the ball on, you know, physically and the way that they looked. It was important that that Kansas continue to upgrade that offensive line. And, and, you know, how often do you bring back four offensive line starters from the previous year and you say, but some of those guys may be in danger. And, and that's that's exactly what happened here. And, and I, you know, I know that, that Lance Leipold prefers certain wording on, on certain things as, as far as that goes in, in terms of, hey, we didn't recruit over these guys. We brought competition for these guys. And, and and I think that's that's a good way to put it too, and that the competition is going to make all of these guys better, right? If if Armaje Reed Adams is so good over the next few months that he wins a starting spot after being on roster and not starting last year, Kansas is going to be better for it. If Dominic if Dominic Pooney wins the starting job and gets pushed by Spencer Lovell or or one of these other guys, and he's able to fight them off he's probably going to be a better player for that competition. And if Spencer Lovell, if he's better than those guys and he wins a starting spot, Kansas is going to be better than it was last year at that spot. And so competition has a way of, you know, that whole, you know, rising tide lifts all boats and competition is that tide. I feel like, especially on this offensive line. And like you said, it's, it's going to be really important. I don't know that a lot of people realize and, you know, if you look at advanced metrics and things like that, an offensive SP plus, which is like a play-by-play success rate, it looks at how explosive you are, and it's also like strained through your competition levels. So like if you're playing against like Tennessee Tech, it doesn't count as much as if you're doing it against Georgia. But when you look at that, Kansas had the number nine offense in the country last year. And so you wonder... How does Kansas improve from that point? How does Kansas even meet that point again, right? How does Kansas even get back to being a top 10 offense? And I think if Kansas is going to do it, the thing that we're going to be mentioning, you know, a year from now and saying, by gosh, they did it. It's it's going to be up front where you're going to say that's that's the leap and where the leap was made. Yeah, I want to start here, Kevin. Um, let's play a fun game. Uh, guess the snap count. Uh-oh. Mike Nowitzki, um Let's go here. So one, two, three. I've got the PFF snaps here. So four years of basically being a starter. Um, how many snaps do you think he's played during his college career? Oh, gosh. I You know, I, I'd love to make a guess, but I wouldn't be anywhere close. He enters this season having played 3,000 college football snaps. 3,000. That's it's incredible when you think about just the amount of football he's played, right? Yeah. You know, you go to Bryce Cable do at right tackle. Well, he's played over 1,500 college football snaps, right? Pooney just played his first season, you know, at Power 5, but played 800 snaps last year, right? It was KU's highest yeah. snap player um, all over the place. It was Mr. Consistency. And then you got Michael Ford Jr., who 
you know, started at Kansas in 2021, started at Kansas last year. He has 1,500 snaps of experience. So there's plenty of experience to go around. And I think you can look at someone like Armaja Reed Adams and the way that things went for him last year, where, you know, beginning of the season, he wasn't really playing that much, right? He, he went into camp, competed, was in a battle there with Michael Ford. And then he kind of has a little bit of a, I believe it was a knee injury that limited him a little bit. So that it's hard to win a job when you can't really go full go, right? Sure. But then over the course of the season, the coaching staff worked him in, where basically from the Oklahoma game on, he was playing 15 snaps or more per game. And that's the thing where now he goes into next season where, you know, obviously he played in 2020, but last season under this coaching staff, you know, he played over 150 snaps. And so I think now you look at this room and you just feel if there an injury happens, right? And I think Kansas injury luck wise on the offensive line got relatively fortunate i think last year in terms yeah, of injuries sure. that force you to miss games right you know bryce cable do earl bostic you know mike Nowitzki, michael ford guys were banged up but it wasn't a hey so-and-so has to miss four weeks right well if something happens this year to any one of the guys right obviously you don't want that to happen but all of a sudden you look at one of the tackle positions cool let's say bryce cable beats out kobe baines well kobe baines is someone that the coaching staff is pretty excited about Sure. If you listen to Andy Koldernicki talk, you listen to Lance Leibold talk. Um, he brought him up out of nowhere on the podcast where he mentioned that, hey, he's someone that he's excited about. So I, you feel good about that at tackle. You know, center is kind of the one position you're a little bit scratching your head at. But even Andy Koldernicki said today that, hey, you know, Michael Ford and, and, and Pooney are, are snapping too. So there's cross training going on here where I think just the depth that's being built out is something that Kansas just hasn't had. Right. Where, you know, Malik Clark is playing and every 10th snap, he has to go off the field because he kind of is just too banged up to really play consistently. Well, you can almost take a guy and say, hey, you know what? We can put in our Reed Adams for 15 snaps a game just to get you a breather over the course of the game. And I think that's huge just because Kansas hasn't had that type of depth before. Yeah, you watch uh Highlight clips from KU last year, and especially the second half of the season, you see a lot of goal line clips where Reed Adams is out there on high leverage snaps in the goal line, and and so when you look at things like that, I think there's a lot of a lot to be excited about with that depth, and even even beyond, you know, we're coming at this from a different way. I feel like because for the last fifteen or so years, not quite that long, but we've been wondering what's it going to take for Kansas to be decent. Right. And now you have to kind of take that next step and say, okay, what's it going to take for Kansas to be legitimately good and, and potentially be a top half team in the big 12, potentially be a top four or five team in a 14 team big 12 this year. What's it going to take? And I think the difference between Kansas and a lot of other programs you know, even when Kansas has been good in the past, a lot of times it's depth, right? Like Kansas has needed to have clean health bills. When you look at the 2006 season where Kansas went six and six, they were banged up a lot. When you look at the 2007 season, they had some guys get banged up late in the year. You know, Anthony Collins got nicked up. James McClinton was nicked up. But generally speaking, guys were healthy that year, you know, for the most part, you know, I think they lost a few games with Kendrick Harper when he was hurt, but generally speaking, that was what it took for Kansas to be able to compete at, at that level was injury luck. And I, I think that the way that you make yourself 
injury luck proof is by improving your depth. And I think they've done a tremendous job in a very short amount of time. And, you know, thanks be to the transfer portal, but you know, they, they've really done a nice job of turning over this roster and getting to a point where, like you said, you never want to see injuries, but at the same time, an injury maybe isn't the death blow for this team that, uh, that maybe it might've been for previous year's teams. Well, and you wonder what else helps you be, have the best season in a long time, uh, having a really good quarterback. <laughs> and I don't know if you saw Kevin, but Athlon released its kind of returning rankings of quarterbacks in the Big 12. I think they do this for every single position group. I'm sure KU might have um, a few that are in the top group uh, at different positions, but quarterback obviously being the most important position in football, arguably the most important position in all sports. You know, I to have him number one, I think it certainly says something about I think the national respect he has. But in this minute, someone sent me in the Kansas program today. I totally missed the tweet. I wouldn't have seen this unless someone sent it to me. And I was I you know, responded, hey, you know, what do you think about this? And their response is very short. Jalen Daniels was 10th last year. <laughs> it just shows you the type of season he had and how good he was. I just was blown away to see this. What's your reaction? Yeah, I, I just I kind of have to pat ourselves on the back, you know, real quick before that. And that, you know, we did run a uh, an article at about this time last year, actually, where we picked the breakout players in college football. And Jalen Daniels was was on our list of breakout guys. And that was based on, you know, the three games that, that he had basically played down the stretch. Even then, I, I'd be 100% lying to you if if just bald-faced lying to you if I told you that, hey, I thought Jalen Daniels was going to be what he was last year. I, I thought Jalen Daniels was going to be a really good quarterback. I thought, you know, there was a chance he was going to be potentially even a top-half quarterback. I didn't think, hey, after five weeks, you're going to have college game day come to your campus, and Jalen Daniels has talked about as a Heisman Trophy candidate – and, oh, by the way, in his final game of the season, he's going to set a new KU passing yardage record type of good. You know, and so when you when you look at all that, and it's so funny because we've discussed Jason Bean on here, and I, I think we've, we've been very fair to him on here, I, I feel like. And I think Jason Bean was, was a very good player last year. I think one of the things that, we looked at that. We said, this is different between Jalen and Jason Bean, who was a good player last year is Jalen tends to make the high leverage plays in the situation when Kansas has to have them. You know, he he's got that, that it or that clutch factor to him that, that you, you want to see. And, and when you look at that and you look at the way that sort of the rest of the Kansas football team elevates, when Jalen's on a heater, I mean, we said this before, there's very little more dangerous in this world than a confident 18 to 23-year-old. And when Jalen is on a heater, it's like the entire Kansas program elevates. Like everybody else is grabbing a hold of the heater and they're being dragged along too. And so I think, you know, when you look at those quarterbacks, I think it's probably pretty fair. I think at the same time, I think a lot of what he does that, that's effective, you know, maybe doesn't even show up on a stat sheet. And I thought it was really interesting and would love to hear your take on it. Andy Kotelnicki's talk about 
Jalen Daniels and saying how the players are the scheme. And he basically said, with regard to Jalen Daniels, you know, and whether you're going to change things up, Jalen's an athletic guy. It makes sense to have Jalen doing athletic things. You know, what did, what did you kind of think about that? I think that's spot on, right? I think the best programs in college football are ones that are able to scheme to put their best players in a position to have success, right? They don't try and, you know, shove square pegs into round holes, right? How many college football programs struggle offensively because they try and stick to an identity that doesn't fit the players they have. And sure. I think that's a really good thing about, you know, Andy Koldenecki and the Kansas coaching staff on offense. They're guys that are you know, kind of like no ego to some degree where it's like, Hey, the players, like let's make sure the players are in a position to have success. And I think it's a, a great mantra to have now. Look, I, I don't know what to make of this, the, 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 the having them first, because I think you <laughs> ask a lot of other big 12 coaches, Hey, pick one quarterback from another school, you know, who are you going to pick? I feel like a lot are going to go with, you know, Quinn Ewers from Texas or, or maybe even Dylan Gabriel from Oklahoma. But I'd argue, I would, I would probably want to sort it into tiers almost where I feel like kind of the top tier quarterback in the big 12, you can think about it a few different ways, right? They're the proven guys, right? Dylan Gabriel, Jalen Daniels, I'll throw Will Howard in there because I think what he showed you was pretty legit sure. over the last few weeks of the season, right? K-State does not win the Big 12 title. They don't play in a New Year's Six Bowl if they have Adrian Martinez as their quarterback, right? Those guys are proven. They, they're in their own tier. And then you've got someone like Quinn Ewers who, man, if he plays at his best, like he is the best quarterback in the Big 12. And then you kind of got the middle tier of like the Tyler Shook and the hundred acres, I guess um, <laughs> that you're like, okay, they're fine. You know? And then you got kind of the newcomers of, you know, who can kind of slot in there. So I think Jalen Daniels does deserve to be in that top tier. I just, I see number one and I'm like, wow, are we sure? But I'm also, I don't know. I'm a little pessimistic sometimes. So that might be just me being like, are we sure? But just I want to combine the two things, right? Proven production. And if this guy plays at his ceiling, what can he be? Like it's legit. And Jalen Daniels through the first five weeks of the season last year was setting the record for the highest ESPN total QBR in history. And I think that has to count for something. Right. And now again, you look at and you say, okay, you know, K-State, it's hard to look at, right? You're like, okay, Texas K-State, you know, was he really at a hundred percent? No, not really. And then he plays in the Liberty bowl and puts up historic numbers. So I think there's enough evidence there to say, yes, he is, but man, it, Maybe it's just being around the program for so long that makes you like, oh, are we sure? But <laughs> well, yeah, I think you know, and, and I think that's a good point. I think during you know the struggles from 2010 or so on, even when picking all Big 12 teams and some Kansas guys that were getting honored in, in that, you know, people would say things like, "He's a really good player," and there'd be a dot 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 for Kansas, right? Like you would look at it and you would say, "This guy's a really good running back." for Kansas or, or whatever else. But, hey, if you put him out at the 50-yard line, we're taking three Oklahoma running backs over this guy or or whatever else. When you watch Jalen Daniels play, though, when when you see the run, when you see him just absolutely, like, rip off a seam route, you know, with his arm, you don't think that's a good throw for a Kansas quarterback. You think that's a great throw. You know, and, and I think – that's one of the things that makes Jalen different, I think, than 
than some of the other guys who who have been on her. And it's not that Kansas hasn't had good players during these struggles, but there's always been somebody where people have said, oh, he's he's a nice player, you know, for Kansas or or whatever else, or he's a nice quarterback for Kansas. No, with Jalen Daniels, you watch him and you can see, you know, it, it doesn't take much for the eye test to tell you, hey, this guy's a legitimate quarterback. He may be sawed off. He may not actually be six feet tall. What Whatever you want to say about him, when that ball comes out of his hand, it doesn't look like, oh, that's that's a nice play for a Kansas quarterback. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, all right, Kevin, let's wrap up at least this first portion here um, with this question. What do you kind of spring showcase? Like, what do you want the buzz to be when the spring showcase wraps up and KU wraps up spring ball? It, you know, you want to revolve around the offense, having confidence, the defense. Like, what do you want to, at the end of spring ball, be hearing from, I guess, people maybe like myself who are on the beat? Well, I think, you know, uh, Mark Mangino used to always say that spring is a great way to to come out of it pissed off, right? Because, you know, you're, no matter what, it's happening against your own guys. So you run the ball, and on one hand, you're like, man, we ran the ball pretty well. And on the other side, you're all mad because you're like, why can't our defense stop anything? We're so bad. And, and so, you know, that, that needs to be taken into account. But at the same time, I think what I would want to see most of all is the defensive line. I, I think that when we look back on the story of this season and, and whether or not Kansas gets to eight wins, whether it gets to 10 wins, whether it wins the national title, whatever, I, I think a lot of it is going to be told on that defensive line because you have so much experience at linebacker on the back end. You know, you add a, a cornerback from, from LSU into that group of of guys, you've got three safeties you feel really good about. You know, you, you have the pieces around that defensive line. And when you look at, at Kansas having a, a top 10 defense or a top 10 offense last year, ranking in the hundreds in defense, ranking in the hundreds in special teams, that I guess that would be something else. It'd be nice to see Seth Keller hit a few kicks too. But but when you when you look at it from that front, does Kansas have what it takes just to get up around like the top half defense? Because if Kansas does that, and I know that's if that's one a huge jump, but two, some people are going to say top half, like that's that's still not that good. But if Kansas gets the number sixty five defense in the country, and they still have a top ten offense, you know that may be an eight or nine win team. Swain, I, I really, I really think that. And so for me, I'm, I'm looking at the defensive line specifically. I'm looking at Seth Keller with like binoculars from like the top of the parking garage to, to like see what that guy is, is knocking through. But those, those are kind of the things I want to see. How about you? Yeah, I think as some of the covers recruiting, right. I think I've, I've said before that, Hey, recruiting indicates what the coaches really think. And, you know, obviously I think you saw a lot of movement for defensive tackles, right? That's a no duh. But if coming out of spring, if there's not a, all right, we need two more linebackers. We need another defensive end. We need, if if the talk is, Hey, we're going to go recruit to add depth and, and get more guys that can play here. Cool. But if it's a, Hey, we need to add this or we need to add that. Yeah. Then I think that for me might be a little bit of a concern just because I, I do look defensively and I say, cool. You've kind of got four defensive tackles you feel good about. On the strong side, you feel good about Jeremy Robinson. On the weak side, 
you know, you know what Hayden Hatcher is. You kind of hope Austin Booker can do it as a, as a freshman, and we'll see when Patrick Joyner gets on the field, right? He hasn't taken the field yet in practice. So if he can come out and, and be the guy that maybe the coaches hope where he can be a, you know, not an every down player, but someone that plays a lot at that weak side defensive end spot. Cool. Great. You know, but at linebacker too, how does the depth shake out? I just look at the defense overall and I say, where can the improvement come? Right. I have an idea of where it's going to come from, but can we get a better tangible idea of, okay, Kansas is better than last year's team at this or at this position or doing this. That for me is going to be interesting. And of course, like you're not going to learn all the lessons about next year's team in April. That's not how this works, but you have a pretty good idea of, Hey, this is going to be a strength or this is something that during fall camp, they're going to have to really, really hit home and hit hard on, or maybe during the summer program and things like that. So Overall, I, you know, I look at it and I say, can we learn a little bit more about the defense and just what the coaches kind of really think? Because I'm, like you said, the defense has to take a step forward. Brian Borland said as much, and the offense yep. has to be able to match the consistency. They got to fight the complacency. They got to do all that. So, I think for me, that would make a successful spring, or maybe just what the things I want to hear. I've, I've done, I've done the video on hey, successful spring. Um, you can find that on the YouTube channel. I'm not going to go through that whole three-minute video again. But I think that for me, those are things I'm looking for. Yeah, I, I think all of that's fair. I, I think Austin Booker is such a fascinating player to me because I do think he has a lot of ability. And I think whether or not he starts, I think if he can have a Jeremy Robinson-like impact, like what we saw from him last year, where he didn't start, but he was actually more productive than the guy starting in front of him, that wouldn't surprise me, and it would also go a long way, I feel like, to making this defense significantly better, too. Yeah, I totally agree. All right, well, that will wrap it up for the podcast. At least thank you, as always, for listening. From the world of Sonic the Hedgehog, a new hero arrives. I am ready. Is there anyone stronger? No. <laughs> Tougher? No. Funnier? I do not make jokes. I make warriors. Knuckles, now streaming only on Paramount+. Plus. Yes!